Welcome back to another week here on MWO Sports. Ryan Drury here. I will be joined, as always, by Clarky and Steve Sabrin. Very exciting show, and it will be our first show that debuts on our YouTube channel, MWO Sports. Follow us there. James Duffy from TSN is on to chat about his new book, Beauties, Hockey's Greatest Untold Stories, and the World Juniors, of course. We'll also chat with our friend Adam Bell about the Blue Jays getting a new home. Where's it going to be? How much is it going to cost? How long will it take? We'll talk about that. And of course, our wagering expert, Chris Abbott from CoolBet, will jump on to talk NFL lines for this weekend. Hopefully make you guys some money. You're listening to and watching MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.ca. This is MWO Sports. Hey everybody, welcome back to another week here on MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co. Ryan Drury alongside Clarky and Steve Sabrin. We've got another great special guest on the program, TSN Zone, James Duffy joins us. James, how are you? Ryan, Sabby, Clarky, doing great. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us. We know you're very busy right now. And of course, COVID has changed the world for a lot of people. I think right now, normally people would expect to see you out on the road promoting another new book after uh, a couple of great books that you've already put out. Now we're on to Beauties, Hockey's Greatest Untold Stories. Tell everybody a little bit about the book and, and what inspired you to write this one. Yeah, I. thanks, first of all. Uh, it's just a collection of 57 great hockey stories and inspiration. I, I just think it was all those two decades on the panel and we've had such a rotating cast of characters that you guys have watched in there. It's always been Bob McKenzie on one side, on the other side of the panel, but countless players and hall of famers and coaches. And I think that's been the best part of my gig is hearing stories from them. Cause I think most hockey fans, that's what you want from a guy, right? If, if the, if, the three of us or the four of us, I guess, were in a bar with whoever. That's what we want. Tell us the stories. What's that guy like? What happened there? What was that coach like? But I'd never really seen a book like that. If you buy a, an auto, there's a million hockey biographies out there and you'll find some good stories within those biographies, but you have to have the life story and all the other stuff in there. So I thought, what if I could do a book that was just, just stories? Like, just simply tell me your favorite story. And that's basically what I did with guys. I'd get them on the phone and I'd say, just tell me your favorite hockey story that you feel comfortable enough to tell. And uh, there was some convincing sometimes to get guys to tell certain stories. But uh, that's basically the premise of the book. James, tell us about some of the uh, people you did talk to and maybe who was the wildest and had the wildest story. I'll talk to you. That's good. Uh, well, it's all over the map, first of all. Um, you know, you the big names are in there. There's Gretzky and Bobby Orr and Crosby and McDavid and Austin Matthews and guys like that. Um, and, you know, frankly, you need those guys to help sell a book too, right? But uh, and then there's just great storytellers like guys I work with, like Jamie McLennan and Jeff O'Neill and uh, um, who are some of my favorites, Kelly Chase, Jim McKenzie, who Chaser introduced me to is unbelievable, Garth Butcher, some old school guys like that. And then there's people you never heard of. One of the things I really wanted to do, Clarky, was to tell, uh, to have this mix of variety of big names, storytellers, and then, you know, maybe stories that I'd seen that people had never heard of uh, over the last few years. Scott Foster was that goalie before David Ayers went in and and, uh, mm -hmm. and beat Toronto as the emergency goalie. You guys might remember two years ago, Scott Foster went in for Chicago. And, you know, the Air story was really cool, but David had 
practiced with the Leafs like 150 times. He knew all the players. There wasn't that intimidation factor. And I thought the Foster story was more interesting to me because here was a guy who was a true beer leaguer and had never even really met an NHL player. He was an accountant with two kids, and he suddenly got in a game uh, in Chicago for 14 minutes. So stories like that I wanted in the book as well because I think, to me, they're almost more interesting than you know the Wayne Gretzky or Bobby Orr stories. What was the process like in writing it? Um, I mean, did you just phone them up, say, hey, I'm doing this. Can you help me out? Or you know, how did you go about putting together all, all of these stories? Yeah, Sabi, like uh, it was sort of random, different ways. There's not one way I did it. In many cases, I would like, you know, get in touch with a guy like Sidney Crosby or Gretzky and just say, hey, here's the book I'm doing. Would you feel it, have a story that you'd feel comfortable telling me? Um, with other guys, you know, the guys I work with, I'm there with them every night. So, you know, Bob McKenzie, that I'd heard a story maybe 10 years ago from him, made sure it wasn't in any of his books. And O-Dog has told me tons of stories. So those ones I'd sort of all heard and edited in my mind. And some just came randomly. The guy who does my RRSPs in Toronto happens to do Stephen Stamkos's as well. Stephen Stamkos, I'm sure, has a lot more money with this guy than I do. But, uh, you know, he's, he, he's called me one day and said, did you hear that Stamkos's dad uh, stole Steve Eisenman's car by mistake? And so there was a chapter in the book just like that. So uh, that's basically how it was random things like that. Uh, you know, uh, what you were asking, my, I think Clarky asked my favorite story and I didn't tell him that. And it's hard to pick because there's so many stories I like for different reasons. Uh, Kelly Chase's chapter on Brett Hall is like 100 Brett Hall stories that are hilarious. But my probably my favorite stink, single beauty story came from John Cooper, the coach of the Lightning. And without giving it all away, it involves uh, a carjacking at knife point, a car chase, um, a full-scale brawl, including a goalie fight, and one of the craziest comebacks in pro hockey history, all on the same day, all involving the same... Uh, team and goalie, his team in Syracuse. And when he finished telling me that story, and again, I just texted him and say, hey, do you got a story for my book? Because I know he's a great storyteller. And he said, yeah, I got one for you. And he called me two weeks later and, and told me the story. And when I finished with him, I said, that's exactly why I wrote this book, is for, for stories just like that that are amazing and that really people, you know, beyond guys that Cooper has talked to and some of his players would have never, never heard of before. Now, James, we did don't I answer to... your question or did I get sidetracked there? <laughs> no, that was perfect. And and I'm already familiar with it because, again, like I said, we don't want you to give away every story in the book. Obviously, we want people to buy this thing. Uh, but you've done something kind of unique here. Now, uh, we'll, we'll dig into the Rubber Boots podcast at some point as well. But you've decided to do like a companion podcast with this book uh, under right. the same name, Beauties. And they're like 20, 25 minutes long. And you basically go, over a, a chapter or so uh, in the book, and that was right. one of the ones that you podcasted. So I am familiar with the story. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, you know, it's a great one, right? Did you agree? It's a pretty darn good story. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Like it's the weirdest thing ever. I was already familiar with the comeback in that game, but right. I had no idea there was all this crazy stuff going on. Everybody should listen to that podcast. Um, mm -hmm. What kind of inspired you to do that? Because it's a really unique thing that I don't think I've ever really seen an author do with a book like this. Yeah, Ryan, I wanted to do a couple of different things. Uh, 
with this book. And uh, one of the things we did was a trailer. Uh, I don't know if you caught that back in the fall. I, I thought, you know, trailers, I love movie trailers. And so why not do a, a book trailer? Because I'd never seen that. And because I have so many talented people at TSN and I had all these interviews on tape, I sort of gave it to this guy, Neil Salinas, who's a brilliant video editor and said, turn this into a movie trailer for me. And then they asked about doing an audio book. And I didn't want to just sit in front of a microphone and read the book. Um, nothing wrong with audiobooks. They're great. I probably listen to more audiobooks than I, than I actually read. But I thought, could we do something different? And uh, this Christoph, who anybody who listens to the Rubber Boots podcast, uh, the other podcast I do, is just this brilliant producer. He also does Jay and Dan. And so I basically said to Christoph, why don't I do a, a, an audio book on steroids where I have all these guys telling the story and, you know, Kelly Chase or John Cooper or whoever it is, is probably better at telling the story than me, Ryan Whitney, who, who's this week's episode of the podcast. So why don't we use, you know, I'll tell the story somewhat like I do in the book, but let's have them, you know, telling parts of it wherever they can, almost like a radio documentary. Uh, the tricky part was I didn't, like you said, I didn't want to give too much of the book away. I wanted it to act more as a teaser. So we're only putting out seven or eight of these uh, before Christmas time. Now, once Christmas is over, will I do the entire book that way? Maybe not right away, but maybe next fall, because I, you could do basically all 57 stories in the book as a podcast, and then I'd have a whole audio book. So it's a lot of work for Christoph. <laughs> so but if we have time, I think it would be a kind of cool thing. I would love to have the whole book done that way. So it was like some crazy, you know, six hour, really wild uh, kind of documentary with all these stories in it. Again, James, without giving away much of uh, the contents of the book, I hear that there is a very famous Canadian hockey player who is has a nickname of Daryl. What can you tell me about that story? <laughs> yeah, different from the guy over your right shoulder, uh, but he he plays a part of it, Clark. He, uh, you know, we Sid the Kid, which I think is a pretty crappy nickname and we should have abandoned a long time ago, but it is what it is. We gave it to him when he was about 14 years old, and and that's been Sidney Crosby. But uh, And this actually came, I think this was where I was going with uh, one of your earlier questions, and I got sidetracked with the John Cooper story. But at the end of the interview with Coop, I said, is there anybody... And I pretty much did this with all my interviews. I said, is there anybody you think I should talk to? You know, just a great storyteller. And he said, without hesitation, you have to talk to Eric Nielsen. And I kind of vaguely knew the name, but not really. And Eric Nielsen, uh, turns out, had played for Coop in, in Norfolk. But he was the junior roommate of Sidney Crosby. And Nielsen happens to be one of the crazier characters and one of the great storytellers out there. And... So when I called Nielsen, uh, he wanted to tell me the story of how Sid, this, the nickname that he has for Sid. I called him and like, Eric, you, uh, you were Sidney's roommate, right? And Ramosi, he goes, you mean Daryl? And I said, uh, what? Uh, he said, Daryl. And so he proceeded to tell me the story. And I don't mind Clarky telling the beginning of this one because it's the first chapter of the book. But basically, Sid comes in 16 years old. And Nielsen's one of the veterans who I guess is 19 with, uh, uh, and they're sitting out the first exhibition game as veterans often do sitting in the stands. And in Sid's first exhibition game, he gets eight points. He has eight points, like seven minutes into the third period. And all these vets are sitting in the stands. And one of them says, who was the guy on the Leafs 
remember the younger generation, we know the answer to this, but not all they do. Who was that guy in the Leafs who got 10 points in a game? And, and Nielsen says, Daryl Sittler. And they said, that's what we're going to call him, Daryl. And so to those five guys, mm. Sydney has always been Daryl, only Daryl, will only be Daryl forever. Like, they refuse to say Sydney or Crosby, it's only Daryl. And Sid actually wrote Daryl in his gloves his first year in the NHL, uh, gave each of the guys a, a set of gloves. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, there was a few people who knew that story, I think, in the media, but the widespread population didn't. And uh, that's part of the chapter. There's a couple of crazy stories involving Nielsen and getting in a car accident and the cop demanding Sidney Crosby autographed cards to get him out of trouble and him having to wake up Sid in the middle of the night to sign these cards. Uh, so... Uh, it was it was great, and that that's one of the things I'm proud of of the book. A guy like Sidney or even Connor McDavid, you know, they they're not known as huge personalities, right? They're very cautious with what they say in interviews and such. And both of them were really great. Um, Sid tells is part of that chapter, and also tells some other stories with Colby Armstrong later, and 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 McDavid tells a couple, and they were really good. When you get those guys away from you know, the stupid intermission interviews we do where they just say, get pucks deep and all that crap. I find almost every hockey player, and you know this, Clark, he has, has, has good stories to tell. You just need to get them in that environment. And uh, Sid would send me voice memos. That was the, the coolest thing. Like, it was in the middle of the season. They were in a playoff race. So it was hard for me to get two hours of his time. And so every week or so, a voice memo would pop up on my phone. And he'd be like, hey, James, it's Sid. So I thought of another one. Uh, I'm on the road this time in Buffalo, and it was just, it was, I don't know, it was a really neat part of the process for me. Don't you feel blessed sometimes, James, that you are, like, so involved in the hockey world? Like, I love my time at Leafs TV and working for the Maple Leafs because the guys were great. They really were, and I've been around baseball players, and I couldn't care less if I ever came in contact with another baseball player as long as I live. But don't you just feel good to, to be, like, yeah. covering hockey on a daily basis? Yeah, I, and I agree with you, by the way. Uh, I've never covered uh, full-time for TSN baseball at the major league level. I've done the odd thing. But uh, I covered AAA baseball in Ottawa before I came to TSN. Mm. And the AAA baseball players were the worst to deal with, worse than any uh, NHL player. I, I, we are truly blessed. They are really good people. Um, I always say CFL guys are great as well. Yeah. CFL and NHL are the best. And you know what? NFL players aren't bad. NBA players are are, are are pretty good. Baseball, I'm sorry to generalize because I know you're all not like that, but baseball players are generally the worst, I, I find. I don't know what it is about, you know, maybe it's just Americans and the way baseball is tied to America and they grow up thinking they're, they're gods, but I agree 100% on that. I feel so lucky. You know, mm -hmm. for me to, for guys to give up a couple hours on the phone with me, you know, for nothing, just to help me out with a book and every single one of them did it. Nobody ever turned me down. I, I thought that was pretty cool. Hey, hey, how are the golfers? Not to change topics, but how are the golfers when it comes to talking to them? Really good. I thought, I thought, uh, I assumed uh, terrible, you know, that they'd be bad. And I think there are a few probably. But in general, I've done seven masters now and I think 11 majors. I don't cover the tour on a full time basis, as you know, but I found them really, really good. They can be prickly after a bad round or when things aren't going well, um, you know, maybe not quite as friendly as hockey players, but in general, I, I really haven't had a bad experience with them. And some of them are just wonderful guys. Uh, Adam Scott, um, the Canadian guys are all fantastic, but uh, 
some of the guys, big names, Ernie Ellis was good to me once when I was a nobody and gave me an interview when he didn't have to. So I've had really good experience with them. Nice. We had Corey Connors, of course. He's from Listowel, who uh, now my new hometown. So we had him on the show not long ago, and he was great. Ryan? Canadian golfers are like Canadian hockey players. I kind of find they're kind of the same. They're all soft-spoken, really good Canadian dudes. They really are, and and Corey's another one of those in that same vein. Uh, We're chatting with TSN's James Duffy. James? Uh, you mentioned that, you know, you've been blessed. You've been on that TSN hockey panel for a long time. And of course, doing work on the masters as well, as we all know, um, you've got to sit next to some interesting characters over the years. Uh, one who always fascinated me and just seemed to just never really want to participate is John Tortorella. Now I know it was all in good fun and my cousin happens to be his assistant coach. So I've gotten to hear some very interesting Tortorella stories over the last couple seasons. What was it like to work with him though? We all saw what he was like on TV. Didn't want to answer the quiz masters questions. What was he really like though to work with in a broadcasting setting? Uh, Well, two parts to that answer. Uh, The first is like great as a human being. I remember we, my boss, uh, my old boss, Mark Millier, set up a dinner with the three of us downtown at a restaurant in Toronto just to, when, when John agreed to do the job, just to have a get-to-know-you moment. And I couldn't believe how quiet, almost shy he was. Like, it was hard to get a word out of him during dinner. Just the complete opposite of the guy we see in the Sports Center top ten list. And... Uh, and, and he was very much the same when he got in studio. And I kind of realized halfway through, he was only with us for about four months, I think, before he got his next job, that I think one of the reasons he took the job was that he wanted to show people that he wasn't this ranting lunatic that you'd seen in the Hey Brooksy scrums and all that, right? He, he wanted to show people that he was a, a normal guy. And I actually think he went too far by that. You know, people, it's been so many years now since Torts did that. And because SportsCenter plays clips over and over again, he'll, they'll play two or three clips where he went nuts on the quiz or whatever. And people remember him as being wild. But he really wasn't. He was actually too soft-spoken for TV. And he didn't say that much when he was with us. I loved being with him. But he wasn't a great analyst because he was just being too careful to not rant and rave. But a couple quick stories. The first night on the air, uh, we had a quiet pool as to how long it would take Torts to swear. And I think I had 21 minutes into the show. I was the lowest one and I won and I was over by like four minutes. I think he swore 16 minutes in and he just said, shit. Uh, I don't know if you can swear on this pod, but you can, you can bleep that if you want. And um, we had, we went to commercial break and uh, I said, Torts, you can't, we're on TSN now. You can't swear. And he said, I didn't swear. And I said, yeah, you, you, you just gave a little S bomb there. And he says, no, I didn't. And we had to show him the tape because that's the way Torts is. Like he gets so passionate about something. And I can't remember what he was talking about. I think it was maybe Sean Avery was controversial at the time. And he was going going off on Avery. And, and he didn't even realize he swore because he was just speaking so passionately. And that's the one thing I think people need to know about Torts. Some people think, is he calculating in what he does? And I don't think he is at all. He just loses it. He's just that passionate. And sometimes he just doesn't have time and just and just loses it but he's a great guy i you know he's in he's in this book he did a chapter for me and there's a couple of great tort stories in there uh and every time he texts me he ends with the same three words he'll always say he'll always say okay whatever his message is and he'll say hope the family is well 
the quiz sucks every <laughs> single time every single text he's ever sent me that's perfect well that's great look forward to reading that book and i'll have to dig into those podcasts as well um a lot of storylines uh coming out of the world juniors of course past and possibly the future um what are your thoughts of this year's world juniors have you heard any inklings of what's going to happen so I'm like the rest of you. I'm just watching everything that we see on television. Obviously, Alberta is a bit of a mess right now, so I'm definitely concerned about it. Uh, I believe that if we can get everybody there, the bubble has proven to work. The NHL shows that it can work. And if we can get all those kids from all the different countries on a plane, get the TSN crew there, um, that we'll have a great tournament. And I think it would be fantastic this year, particularly because not much else is going to be going on over the holidays. We always love the World Juniors. Maybe we need it this year more than ever. However, I do understand that's definitely not the top priority. And if there's field hospitals and such in Alberta, uh, I don't know. So I certainly have trepidation, but I, I hope we get there. I know we have a bunch of tests before we get there. Then I have to stay in my room for four days in the hotel room can't leave the room for four days so they they have all these great protocols in place but again my my number one concern would be getting all these kids from all the different countries into edmonton yeah it'll be an interesting situation for sure actually news tonight uh, multiple sources confirming alexi lafreniere will not be coming to play for canada and we already know maritz cider will not play for germany so it'll be interesting he is james duthie of tsn you know him from the hockey panel you know him from trade center he is hosting uh, a new podcast to go along with his brand new book it is called beauties hockey's greatest untold stories pick it up for christmas you can get it pretty much anywhere books are sold james you actually broke the internet it sold out on Amazon, which is incredible. So congratulations on that. And uh, he also hosts a great podcast. Uh, it's really funny. It's called Rubber Boots. You should check that out. When are you going to eventually do a live one from Turks and Caicos, James? <laughs> well, there was some live Instagrams from Turks and Caicos at about 2 yes. in the morning that were quick, quickly deleted. But I don't know what the <laughs> audience was, about 40 people. And thank goodness, because it could have been career ruiners. Um so I don't know that live is ever going to be in our plans with these clowns that I work with, but thanks for saying that we have a lot of fun on the rubber boots pod and uh, beauties is a little more normal hockey, normal podcast than that one. But uh, I appreciate it boys. Absolutely. We appreciate you doing this. TSN's James Duffy. All right, we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll chat with our buddy, Adam Bell to talk about the Rogers center. The Jays are going to get a new home. How excited is he? How excited should we all be for a new baseball hub for the Toronto Blue Jays? You're listening to and watching MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co. This is MWO Sports. Welcome back to MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co. Ryan Drury, Clarkie, and Steve Saverin. Thanks to TSN's James Duffy for joining us in the last segment. We're now pleased to be joined by a friend of the show and one of our compatriots, Mr. Adam Bell. Adam, how are you? I'm just chilling at home here. Uh, I'm really fired up about this subject, though. Like when uh, when I when it first came, I came right to you because I, I wanted to get a lot off my chest. So. 
Yes. Now you have obviously a lot of opinions. That's how fired up he is, folks. The screens are flying. Uh, we're, of course, talking about the announcement that Rogers plans to invest in a new home for the Blue Jays. We don't know yet whether they want to just tear down the current Rogers Center, a.k.a. Skydome, and build a new one there. If they want to purchase land and build it closer to the lakeshore, we don't know that yet, but we do know a new home is coming. And yes, you came right to me because you have a lot of opinions on this. You spent a lot of time down there covering the team tell us a little bit about what's got you excited what would you like to see happen well this is something that um us post world series fans as i like to put it uh like we've been clamoring for this for quite a while because this generation of fans like has been to other baseball stadiums and have been able to see like the atmosphere and the uniqueness to these uh to these buildings but then we go always go back to the rogers center and it never seems like a place that you should be playing baseball. And it's it's tough. Um, I know I know Clarky's on here, and it's tough to have this discussion with that generation because I totally get it. I understand what that stadium was in the late '80s and early '90s, but it's just it, it it cannot be fixed. Like it's a bad base for a baseball stadium. Whereas, for example, um, you go around to Chicago with Wrigley Field. Like you had a very classic base to build off of, which they did, making massive improvements to the Wrigleyville area right around the stadium, as well as the stadium itself to make a better baseball experience. But the thing is, is you have to do that as a baseball team eventually, but Toronto can't do it just because it's such a bad base to be building off of, where it's more like the building is more looking like a factory of some kind than it is something that you can retrofit and uh, and something that you can keep playing baseball at and we've been having this discussion about natural grass in the in the rogers center for quite a long time i've always been of the opinion that it's not doable unless you wanted to run this huge pipe that popped out down by the train tracks and it was just like an open river going down the side like it was never going to happen because you can't have the, the proper drainage there. Um, I'm, I'm really fired up about this. Um, I, I think any option that is on the table is one that they should be considering. So here's the deal. Um, the, the Skydome was a fabulous stadium when they packed it with 50,000 fans and they were winning World Series and it was minus 10 degrees outside and raining or snowing. But I totally agree with you. It's a concrete convertible. It is has no atmosphere whatsoever. Um, and it needs to be replaced. But here's the other thing. There's no way on the face of the earth, we've used this word, jury, a bunch of times on this show, pipe dream. They cannot, under any circumstances, rip that stadium down and build a new one on the same site. Major League Baseball will not allow this team to go to another city. There's nowhere else to play in Toronto. No, they, they have can't to do find that. an alternate. They have to find an alternate. They have to. There's no doubt about it. Um, okay, uh, I was with you on the first point, but I'll uh, I'll politely disagree with the last, uh, the final two. I definitely think that Toronto is always at risk of losing their baseball team. I really don't view Toronto as a top tier baseball market. And if it, if the news came out one day that they were considering moving, it would not shock me. But the way that we can save that is by building a, a really really nice stadium because that is going to make the whole process completely impossible for at least 20 years. And if you're Toronto, in my opinion, you should be doing anything to do that. 
because there is a possibility. I've always been of the opinion that Nashville would be an amazing place to put a baseball team and much better than Toronto. Um, the uh, What was your third point there, Chris? Oh, not, not another place to put it. Um, Chris, you spent a lot of time in Toronto, and uh, I this is just a, a, a thought that I've always had, but I always wondered about Downsview Park. Um, I don't know how many of our Midwestern Ontario... Uh, it's got to be downtown, Belzy. It's got to be downtown. Why does it have to be downtown? It has to be downtown. It's the it's the hub of the city, and other other baseball parks around Major League Baseball have proven that they don't succeed as well when they're not downtown. There's room downtown. The Portlands are one, for instance. Uh, it's close to the GO train. There's no public transit except one subway that goes up to Downsview. It's a terrible place. I don't. They talked about Downsview way back when. They talked uh, about putting a, a stadium there. They talked about obviously when the Air Canada Center was built putting uh, a rink there or at uh, Bay and Dundas. Um, there's room downtown. There's room um, for a nice, intimate, 38, 42,000 seat stadium. They can do it. All I'm saying, though, is there's no way, and I agree with you. I, well, I, I don't agree in the fact Toronto's uh, not a good baseball market. I think it is a terrific market. Well, but that's you not win. what he said. You like, got to win. You got to win. And yeah. as long as there's an ownership in place, they'll be staying here. They're not going anywhere. Um, but Rogers yeah. bought that team when no one else wanted them. And you're right. That was, they were probably close to maybe flying the coop then. Um, but I, you know what I see, through, guys? We've Minnesota, like we've been through Tampa. We've been through a lot of, uh, like a lot of times where it seemed like the team was on the verge of leaving. Um, and uh, like, I don't mean the Blue Jays. I mean, other teams uh, as examples. Yeah. Um, and, and we obviously saw it with Montreal. It just, all of a sudden, it just crescendoed into one big thing. And it made sense for the team to move. And I'm always, as a, as a huge Blue Jays fan, I'm mm. always fearful of that happening because I don't want the team to leave. But I, I cannot sit here and say that it's impossible that that ever happens. Yeah, there are definitely challenges with it. Sorry, Steve. I, I just I agree with Clarky. I think they're probably safe for right now because of the fact that Rogers owns it, and Rogers is one of the I believe top three most profitable ownership groups in all Major League Baseball. I think they're probably decently safe with them in charge. Steve, go ahead. Well, I think the one thing they have to avoid is if you're going to build a brand new stadium make it a baseball only stadium. Yes. You got to remember yeah, the Rogers Center, formerly the Sky Dome, was built as a multi-sport venue. It wasn't just built for the Toronto Blue Jays. They may have been the driving force, yeah. but it was built to host the Argos, it was built to host uh concerts and we've all seen and you know as a fan or a concert goer, one of the things when you buy that ticket is you pick your seat for the sight lines. And whenever you get into multi-sport situations, your sight lines are never as good as they are in a park that is built specifically for that type of event or sport. So I think there might be something deeper at play here. And I don't know if, if anyone else has said it, but it wouldn't shock me in the least that they build a baseball-only stadium and they retrofit the Sky Dome to be an NFL stadium, and that could be a goal um, to do. Uh, I, can see that. I, I can definitely see it. Toronto should have an NFL team. Uh, I don't think there's any question about it. They should have an NFL team, but they need a stadium that seats 50,000 fans. Well, guess what? There is one. 
Um, and with a little bit of shifting around inside, they can do it. And you know what? Like at the end of the day, they have a roof there that's been spinning and opening for a long time. And when the roof's open, it's not that bad of a stadium for a football game. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and like if it's snowing and, and raining, then it shut it. Like I would love to see for the baseball stadium, getting back to baseball. I'd love to see like the Seattle. Um, uh, maybe it's tech. What T-Mobile, Seattle has the mobile park. Yes, you're right. They have that right? half retractable roof. It's really. Yeah. Cool. So if it's raining, because you know what, guys, like we're spoiled with that stadium in April and in October. Yeah. Um, because it, it can be really rainy and cold in Toronto. I, I get it, Belzy, but. Uh, you know what? The people who pay the big bucks for the tickets aren't going to want to go there when it's pouring rain. And the Jays are going to lose a lot of seats because of it. But if, I don't mind the cold. I don't mind the cold. You can dress warm, but you don't want to get rained on. They got to have a roof for sure. Well, it's, it's funny when we did the, uh, when we sat in the upper bowls, <laughs> I went with my dad, you get that 500 level. But if you got a 30 degree July, August day, and you're in that 500 level, you baked like a chocolate chip cookie. Like ah, wear a hat. It was hot. Wear a hat. It was hot. Hey, Belzy, wear a hat, Belzy. Tell them. <laughs> and then you go to... I spent a lot of time up at the 500. I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. The beer gets warm. Although it was probably better than sitting on the aluminum benches in Exhibition Stadium in April and sticking oh, to the seat because you were icicles. But... Anyway, I just need to ask you if you've been watching the uh, workouts of Vladdy Guerrero Jr. and noticed the weight loss, the weight loss he is putting on because apparently he couldn't handle the weight last year and didn't really hit that well. So they're telling him, you know what, you better shape up or you'll be shipped out. Obviously, you know, we don't want him out there at 290 and become Pablo Sandoval because that's the other edge of the sword. And we don't want belts exploding on live TV <laughs> at the new stadium, right? <laughs> so, um, Belsy, I want to ask you a little bit just about some of your experiences down at Rogers Center, formerly the Sky Dome. Just what were some of the things from a media perspective that made it just kind of wear on you a little bit? Well, going down into the bowels of uh, Rogers Center is, is a very eye-opening experience because um, you would go underneath this area that you, at least personally, you'd be going under this area where you've been sitting all your life. Like I've been going to Jay's games. Um, I think I went to my first one so that when I was about five or six um, and uh, you know, are a little older than that actually about nine, I think. But anyway, like you got a sense of what is above, but down below it's, it's a, it's a quite an experience because, the clubhouse area is is massively updated, and it's got everything in there you could possibly want. But you step out into a concrete hallway that admittedly does look a, real, a little run down, but it's the area that the players walk from the clubhouse out to the field that is the most shocking. Um, because I think you've been under some stands at, like, fairs, you know, like, at, like um, it, it kind of has that feeling, but you see a lot of, equipment down there that has not moved in years um and it looks like it's almost from the 60s and 70s just a very unusable area and it's another thing that when uh baseball stadiums are created today like they try not to have areas like that um where it's just negative space is is what it's called uh because it 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 not only is something that can't be used for concessions or anything like that but it literally can't be used for anything so it just kind of sits there a lot of garbage, a lot of 
baseballs like a, like there had to be hundreds of baseballs in this in this area underneath there it's just because it hasn't been taken care of at all or anything like that this is where players would go back and kind of work on their batting during a game or something like that but it's a very poor experience and when i was working down there one thought that always came to my mind was wow like imagine being from a place that has an actual baseball stadium and coming here and making this walk from the uh, from the clubhouse to the field uh it's like you're walking in an old barn where there's a whole bunch of farm equipment from like the 40s like it's 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 quite an experience but these types of things i hope if a if a new stadium is created that they kind of get away from and and take a more modern and more reasonable approach to space like that it's the big detractor down there I, I don't want to be the apologist for the Skydome or, or the Rogers Center, but I've been in a lot of other stadiums too, and a lot of them are like, they're gungy down there. Like it's a lot of garbage and a lot of stuff. Here's the biggest problem with the Skydome. Those stands between the clubhouse and the field are on tracks and move. So you can't build anything there because those are moving for football or baseball. They're on big like railroad tracks basically, and they move. So you can't build anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it doesn't look great. It smells. There's like pop that's been down there for 20, 30 years for sure. That's Belzy spilt when he was drinking up in the 500 yeah. level. But yeah. yeah, they're not like the Air Canada Center too. Like once you get past the uh, visitor's dressing room and where the buses come in and where the trucks are, it's, it, it smells like garbage. It's awful down there. But it's mm. just the players get used to that stuff. Well, oh, sure. I, absolutely. I, I certainly hope that, you know, Toronto, because I, I think the fan base is dedicated enough. I think Rogers is dedicated enough. Um, I'm really hoping that we can end up with something up here similar to a PNC Park or more specifically, you know, T-Mobile that the, that the Mariners play in. Uh, the new San Fran Stadium Pittsburgh is amazing. Pittsburgh is beautiful. Yeah, PNC is, yeah, you know, they, is definitely beautiful. It consistently tops think, uh, fan lists. PNC Park is as good as it gets. Like, I, I, I would That's say what I heard. Yeah, I've been there yeah. once, and it's amazing. It's awesome. Yeah, uh, my, my best friend watched a game there two years ago and said it was by far the nicest sports stadium he's ever been to, and he's been to a lot. So, I mean, that's really saying something. I'll tell you this, though, boys, in closing for me on this subject. There's no way that the Rogers Center is worse than where my favorite baseball team plays, and even they're getting a new stadium. So thank God for Oakland, because there's no way it's worse than Oakland Stadium. I'll tell you that. Ricky Henderson Field needs replaced badly, and and it will be. So yeah, no, it's going to be exciting. Um, I, I really hope that Rogers puts it in a different place. Like you said, Clarky, hopefully they can find some room downtown. They can't move them and have them play somewhere else, but Overall, I think that this is exciting news. I just hope they approach it the right way. Our buddy Adam Bell, uh, go ahead, Belzy. Uh, I was just going to say, um, just in closing here, uh, I think it's a distinct possibility if they're going to build a new stadium that they go to either Montreal or Buffalo for an extended period while that stadium is built, possibly an entire season, because we're talking about a stadium that's going to take at least four or five years to be built, probably around the seven-year mark. Like, that's... It's going to take a long time, but I can see them going to another location for a season and playing. But why would that? Like, why would they go for a season if it's going to take four or five years? They'll just play in the Sky Dome until then. Could take multiple years. There's there's different ways to to approach this, and it, you know, 
we never really got into it, Clarky, but that Keyside property, like, do you think that's a possibility, like, for building a, a stadium on, like, where the Google uh, um, Life Labs was going to be on Queens Key yep. there? Like, hundred percent. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, that might be a better spot, and for because sure. it makes more sense to convert that area that the Rogers Center is on right now just to full gambit real estate, and that would really set up Rogers quite well, like that, or anybody that is involved with that land there. I know it's a federal government land; they need all the approval and everything but it's just so centralized i yeah. i, I rogers, think that is a yeah. rogers leases that land from the government they don't own that land so mm-hmm. they don't have a say what goes on that land if they do demolish the stadium and that's why at the end of the day i think they'll keep it and try to get an nfl team anyway i think we're over time we'll see uh, it'll be interesting my my only suggestion make the beer cheaper all right adam bell our buddy you can hear him on our cknx airwaves uh, covering news farm all sorts of stuff and of course he makes his appearances here on mwo sports belzy we appreciate this buddy thank you thank you ryan absolutely all right we'll take one last quick break here on mwo sports brought to you by coolbet.co when we come back our wagering expert chris abbott stay tuned this is mwo sports Welcome back to wrap things up here on MWO Sports. Ryan Drury joined by Clarky and Steve Sabrin. And to end the show, as always, we welcome in our wagering expert, Chris Abbott. The show is brought to you by CoolBet.co. He is our CoolBet.co wagering guy. And Chris, boy, the storylines in the NFL are getting wild. Postponed games. We saw, I believe, our first Wednesday game, Ravens-Steelers, with the Ravens coming out on top. Uh, Roger Goodell seems confident that they're still going to be able to finish the season. And I, I guess at this point, let's go full steam ahead. Why not? Some interesting matchups coming up on Sunday. Hey, Ryan, 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 Ryan. Can I just yeah. interrupt one? T- Absolutely. I have to ask you before we start about next week. Yes. Did, like what kind of fixing was going in on that Seattle Philadelphia game? Oh, what happened God. there? Like they go for a two point conversion just to cover the spread. Wow. Uh, if you're asking me, I mean, there's a couple of questionable results this week. Uh, that was, uh, and I was on the losing side of that. And also yeah. the Steelers, the, they dropped the ball like 74 times and then a terrible tackling attempt on the, the Hollywood Brown touchdown and no fair catch on the on the punt that led to the red zone. Is that like uh, there should have been no points scored by Baltimore in that game yet they cover and then Pittsburgh, uh, you know, just did enough to get the win. And all the money, especially in that Pittsburgh game, uh, was on the Steelers. So I don't know, like, certainly from our perspective, we have nothing to do with it. But, I, I you, man, you got to wonder sometimes if, if somebody's getting to these guys. Like, I, I'm just saying that because I'm on the wrong side of it. But, man, it's frustrating. It really, really is. It is. And, of course, yeah, we don't want to levy – too heavy an accusation at anyone in particular, but you know, everyone's familiar. I, I mean, maybe you're not with, you know, the whistleblower store story. That's a, a documentary about the referees in the NBA who were blatantly fixing games. There was a game where I think the bulls had 27 free throws in the fourth quarter. Like it, it, it's a crazy story and they were doing it for gambling reasons. I'm not saying that's happening here. It's just extremely weird when a team with no chance of winning goes for a two point conversion and miraculously covers a six and a half spread a lot of people were mad i think Um, i think it's a lot harder to have the players on both sides uh be involved as opposed to referees for sure so uh i i think uh, much like people talk about conspiracy theories 
uh, even with like COVID and stuff, there, you'd have way too many people would have to be involved. So, uh, yeah, just chalk it up to bad luck, I guess. Wow. Yeah, that's what we're going to have to do. Let's hope this week we run into some better luck. Uh, a number of good matchups here. Let's talk Browns Titans, two teams that have had weird up and down seasons, more so the Browns. I mean, they are eight and three. They're starting to look somewhat decent. Nick Chubb's back and he had a big weekend. And on the other side, the Titans had a couple down weeks with Tannehill, but he's bounced back nicely. Of course, Derrick Henry potentially putting himself in MVP conversation. He's been unbelievable. Who comes out on top of this one? Who needs it more? Well, uh, well, I think Tennessee needs it more. I think, I think Cleveland is uh, far and away overachieved. And, and I think that uh, although Cleveland does play in, in a very, very tough division, um, Tennessee, a five and a half, six point favorite in this one. It, it's really tough. I, Cleveland's not the same team without Miles Garrett. And I don't believe he's ready to go this week. And, and it really, it really showed, uh, against uh, Jacksonville last week. So, uh, again, the Jags uh, kept it close enough. But, uh, you know, I can't bet on Cleveland, especially as a favorite like they were last week, which ended up costing me money again, uh, even though I had them to win in a money line probably, so that was fine. But, uh, yeah, I, I like Tennessee here. I think they had their blip. I think the, they're more what we expected from them. And I think Cleveland has a, a bit of an inflated record uh for whatever reason, just based on who they've played so far. So I, I do think Tennessee's the better team. I, I think Cleveland with Miles Garrett and Odell Beckham, okay. But without those two guys, I don't I don't like them in this game against the team, and especially Derrick Henry, who's just uh, really turned it on the last few weeks. Derrick Henry's a freak. He has 747 yards after contact. Zeke Elliott, the highest paid running back in the league, 707 total yards pretty unbelievable derrick henry's a freak let's talk uh, interesting here the washington football team in an interesting matchup here with pittsburgh who are undefeated of course 11 and 0 now washington still in the hunt potentially to finish first overall in the nfc least uh obviously you know this is interesting i think pittsburgh still wins can washington cover the number yeah, and, and the number, I don't see it right now. Uh, I, I saw nine and a half. Nine, yeah, I, I was going to say, I think it was around 10. Uh, I know it's moved around just with Pittsburgh playing. I think they're they're about to play three games in 12 days. This could be the letdown spot. And uh, if we've learned anything, it's this Washington pass rush and, and defensive line is, is legit. And Chase Young is, is a killer, man. So, yeah, just ask Joe Burrow, right? So... Um, without uh, Marquise Pouncey in the middle of that offensive line for the Steelers, that that did cause some problems. If James Conner is injured, I can see this Washington front making it difficult on Pittsburgh and a bit of a letdown spot in a, an out-of-conference game. I would not be afraid to take Washington at plus 9.5, but probably buy it to plus 10 here. Um, yeah, I mean, Pittsburgh's undefeated but they've had a lot of close games and this seems like it's it's setting up to be uh, another one of those I agree. I think Washington's legit Ron Rivera is a defensive mastermind and he is showing that again. Let's talk finally about Rams Cardinals NFC West. It is a dogfight in that division. You got Seattle in the mix as well. San Fran, of course, one of the most injured teams I've ever seen. This is an interesting one. Last week, Kyler Murray, man, my New England Patriots out of nowhere suffocated Kyler Murray and the Cardinals for a win. And on the other side, Jared Goff and the Rams have quietly been going about their business putting up some pretty nice numbers who do you like in this one 
Oh boy, I've been going back and forth on this one all week. I, I love the the home underdog here. Uh, the stats for underdogs have been unbelievably um, massive. They, they've been covering, especially inside of a field goal, which is what this one is, and at home. So the the math and the and the trends would say that you go with Arizona here, but. I don't know, man. Both of these teams have been completely inconsistent for me, and that that makes it really hard. And as much as I like watching both of these teams play, Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins are two of my favorite players to watch in the league. Um, I think if you got Aaron Donald getting after Kyler here, if Jared Goff and the offense can be at least okay, I think I like the Rams. Uh, the you know the defense for Arizona's hit and miss. So I know Kyler's been banged up a little bit. Uh, I full credit to Bill Belichick and the Patriots, by the way. But, um, yeah, I, I think I like the Rams here, but it's tough. Everything says Cardinals, which is probably another good reason to take the Rams. Absolutely. It'll be an interesting one. We're looking forward to some hopefully uninterrupted NFL action this week. He is our wagering expert. That is why you tune in. That's why you listen to his advice, Chris Abbott from CoolBet. Uh, we really appreciate you guys listening to and watching this show. We are making our debut on YouTube. We appreciate you guys tuning in there. Spread the word. You can catch the show on YouTube now. Uh, of course, you can listen Friday nights right after 6 o'clock on CKNX AM 920, streaming on CKNX.ca. Follow us on social media and of course you can still watch the show with our friends whiteman tv friday nights at eight sunday nights at nine thanks to uh, our friends chris abbott of course adam bell and tsn's james duffy be sure to pick up his new book beauties hockey's greatest untold stories available everywhere books are sold we appreciate you listening to and watching mwo sports brought to you by coolbet.co <laughs>